the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, the Finance Coast and Mohamed Nalla. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. In addition to our weekly free show that you know and love, we have now launched Magic Markets Premium, a weekly show for our subscribers in which we give detailed analysis on global stocks. Every premium show is accompanied by a report covering the company's strategic drivers, its operating environment, its competitors, bull versus bear case, technical trading indicators, and a long-term investment thesis. At just 99 Rand per month, we are committed to making institutional-level analysis affordable for all investors and traders. Visit magic-markets.com to go premium and unlock your full potential in the markets. Welcome to episode 104 of Magic Markets. And I tell you what, if you ever doubted our commitment to giving you content every week, uh, Mo is sick, half his family is sick. Uh, look, uh, my problems are minor in comparison, but I need fiber at my house to work for basically one hour a week, non-negotiable. And that was the current hour as we record this and my fiber went down. So we are attempting to do this on mobile data with relative success. But anyway, the show must go on as always. And uh, Mo, we've uh, we've managed to get 103 done before. This is number 104. So it'll take more than fiber and a scratchy throat to stop us, I think. Indeed, Ghost. It's, it's always fun. So I guess we have fun while we struggle through the various trials and tribulations of uh, life. But it's also the benefit of, uh, I guess, being able to edit out my hacking cough so that our listeners are spared that on their, on their, ear, uh, on their eardrums. Uh, always a pleasure doing this. And Ghost, we're going to try something different this week, right? Indeed we are. I'm looking forward to it. So, you know, for those who are premium subscribers, you'll be well aware of the sort of process we follow in premium. And, and don't worry, we know we've done this before on a free show. We're not about to rehash it. What we're going to do instead is we're going to talk about why we do certain elements of that. And for those of you who are not yet premium subscribers, you know, this gives you even more insight into what is sitting behind what is a very modest paywall of 99 Rand a month or 9.90 a year. If you're happy to commit, you can save two months there. And uh, Mo, I'm, I'm pretty excited to get into it. In fact, if you don't mind, I'll even go first. Yeah, shoot, Ghost. Let's have some fun. All right. So one of the things you look at every week when we uh, do a research report and a podcast on these global companies is insider selling by management. Now, this is certainly not the same as insider trading, which is patently illegal. This is selling by insiders of the company, directors, key management, etc., why do you look at this in detail? What is the importance and what does it tell investors? Yeah, Ghost, I think first and foremost, it's quite topical because in fact, on the last two stocks that we have covered in Magic Markets Premium, the one we're doing this week, which is American Tower, as well as last week and, and, and several others. In fact, we've seen management selling out stocks over the course of the last 12 months. So let's get to the nub of the issue. Why do we look at it? Well, first and foremost, if insiders are sitting at the company, and insiders can be management, insiders can be founders with substantial shareholdings, uh, insiders are practically anyone who sits on the, let's call it, inside of the company that are privy to information that ordinary investors are not necessarily privy to. So it's not insider trading, but insiders are compelled to report when they buy or sell shares in a company by regulation, both in South Africa as well as internationally. Now, this shines an interesting light in terms of what's the general sentiment from people who should be in the know around the company that we are discussing. 
Sometimes insider selling comes with very different nuances. So for example, if management are heavily incentivized using stock-based compensation rather than high salaries, for example, you'd need to keep that in the back of your mind in terms of some of the nuance. So you'd need to look at what does their basic compensation look like relative to the size of stock-based compensation. And in those instances, if management is selling a large portion of stock, for example, it may be simply for that particular reason. However, in other circumstances, for example, it might be a founder who has a disproportionate portion of their wealth tied to a specific stock and then has a very structured divestment plan put in place over a period of time that you will start to see come through. So a good example here, for example, would be Mark Zuckerberg and his various trusts and their shareholding in Meta. And you see that come through quite consistently in terms of insider selling. Another one would be, for example, any unscheduled insider selling, which potentially pops up as a risk flag. So if you look at all of this together, what it does tell us about the share price is that regardless of the reason behind it, if the volume is quite substantial, that will represent an overhang in terms of share price performance. A good example, again, if, if we look at Meta, if you know, for example, Zuckerberg will be selling a certain portion of his shares over a period of time, bear in mind that comes with a long-term overhang in terms of share price performance and vice versa. Uh, what if insiders are buying? That's a vote of confidence in the company. So we look at it not in isolation, but rather in the context from where it comes. And this gives us a good context on whether we should be having a positive disposition towards the stock or a negative disposition towards the stock, which is quite useful when we bundle that with the rest of the analysis that we do. In fact, Ghost, it's going to lead me into the question that I want to pose to you. And that is on every single stock that we cover in Magic Markets Premium, we look at both a bull case and a bear case. Now, perhaps it's worth explaining to our listeners why we go into so much effort to present both the bull and the bear case. Thanks, Mo. And the reason is that, you know, nothing is ever as good or as bad as it seems. That would be my kind of overarching view. I think people tend to form extreme views. It's like a behavioral finance thing. You know, if you buy a stock and you believe so strongly in it, you almost don't want to hear any bad news about it. You know, it's see no evil, hear no evil, everything's fine. I bought it for these reasons and nothing can go wrong. Likewise, if you hate a particular company, it's often very difficult to lift your head out of that and actually say, you know what, there may well be reasons why this is actually a pretty cool investment. Or actually, yes, maybe the business is not great, but you know, has the share price now gotten to a point where it's so hated that it's actually a great purchase ultimately and that's very much the sort of realm of value investors who are way more worried about the valuation than anything else because if there's enough of a margin of safety then you almost don't care what the underlying company actually does so the reason that we present a bull box and a bear box is i guess firstly it forces us to actually think critically you know it's really hard to have a positive and a negative view on something in your mind and it's something we've certainly practice very hard ourselves on the show and i think our premium subscribers have benefited from that as a result you know it's, it's important to have those views and then another really good reason is that often when you are identifying bull box matters and bear box matters what you're actually busy identifying is potential catalyst for a big share price move it's been interesting if you kind of work back through a lot of our premium reports how often we've correctly identified something that either causes a beautiful upward move or a big nasty knock to the share price. Now, you know, it's not 
rocket science to think about all the possible risks and all the possible things that can go well. We're not patting ourselves on the back here. But the point is that if you don't make an effort to create a bull case and create a bear case, then actually you're kind of flying blind. You know, you really just don't know what could actually happen to the company. And that's obviously not a, a fantastic place to be. So bull box, bear box, firmly part of our analysis every week. Yeah, Ghost, I think another critical point here is that we, we use it to actively challenge our thinking. So for example, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but if we disagree on a stock behind the scenes, we debate a lot of our analysis substantially before we put together our final analysis, our final product. And on that basis, if, for example, I'm going into something a lot more bullish, I will force myself to go and find the bear thesis and vice versa. If you're going into something a lot more bearish, for example, you will force yourself to find the bull thesis. So that's part of an intellectual discipline to challenge our thinking at every step of the way. And I, I really think that for me personally is one of the most valuable aspects of having that bull and bear case. Yeah, I fully agree with that. It's one of my favorite parts of our research, actually. And I must tell you something else I enjoy in our research, which I've certainly learned a lot about, you know, through you and through, you know, following this stuff on Twitter, you know, technical analysis is not something that I had a hell of a lot of knowledge of going into, I suppose, the pandemic. And I must be honest, I'm still a complete amateur at technicals. I mean, you do all the technical stuff in premium and for good reason. But I think it's worth spending a few minutes just on why this stuff is important and some of the major things you look at, you know, support and resistance lines, momentum indicators, moving averages. I see a lot of the same sort of things coming through each time. And it's really interesting to see how often it helps with entry and exit points. Yeah, Ghost, I think that's maybe the starting off point is that technical analysis is an entirely different discipline. It's a different tool set that investors can use and, and quite often is used more in a trading context, but also in an investment context when investors are looking at timing their entries and exits. So let's maybe first of all start off with the fact that a lot of people are skeptical around technical analysis. And this is why when we do our recaps, for example, if you go into Magic Markets Premium, we often recap how have we done on our analysis? You know, two or three or four earnings releases later, what is actually done? How have we done on our analysis in general as well as the technical analysis? And what's been remarkable for me is on so many instances, when we map the share price performance against our predefined support and resistance levels, and you actually look at price action very often, I mean, nothing is an exact science, but very often you actually see the price tends to get sticky around those support and resistance levels as identified. So in that context, it certainly does work. And the question one has to ask oneself is, why does it work? So a lot of people, and skeptics included, would acknowledge that because everyone tends to be looking at similar indicators, similar levels, technical analysis almost becomes self-fulfilling to a large degree. And that is where its use case comes from. Now in premium, we do tend to cover just the basics. You know, we don't want to we don't want to overwhelm our subscribers with this entirely different body of knowledge. So we tend to highlight key trends. You know, what is the trend that the stock is in? Is it a bull or a bear trend? What are some of the key support and resistance levels? We, for example, consistently tend to look at your long-term moving averages, for example, for support, for resistance. 
We also look at indicators like your Fibonacci retracement and projection levels. We look at momentum indicators like your RSIs, stochastics, uh, MACDs. There's so much that goes on behind the scenes, but when we present that in premium, we try to present it in the most concise, the most simple measure in terms of not to overwhelm the user, the subscriber, but to convey the thoughts of what at a high level are technical indicators telling us in terms of entry and exit points. It is an overlay to one's overarching strategy. Some people will use it with a much higher frequency daily indicators, those are traders. Other people will tend to use it with a much longer, lower frequency weekly indicators, for example, and those are either swing traders or long-term investors looking for entry and exit positions. In aggregate, how I use it is basically overlaying that on top of our fundamental analysis, and that is how we've packaged it in Magic Markets Premium. To our listeners, if you think uh, MACDs is something you buy at McDonald's, then uh, it's time to do some more technical analysis, that's for sure. And really, from my side, as someone who just never really touched the stuff, uh, never really looked at it, I mean, it is amazing to learn because it is just a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's it. If enough people believe something has hit the peak and hit the sell button, guess what happens? The price falls. I mean, it, it, it is what it is. It, I think it's very silly to completely ignore technical analysis. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, and Ghost, I mean, we, we can obviously apply a much more focused lens there. You know, one could take it so much further. You could look at volume analysis. You could look at short open interest, for example. And there's just so much to cover in that space. But then again, we don't want to detract from the fact that we do do a lot of detailed analysis on the stocks that we cover. And so my question to you here is that in the numbers overview, can you maybe shine some light in terms of the approach we take when we're trying to understand a company. Yeah, so of course, alongside the sort of technical analysis mode and the bull in the bear box and everything else we do, it's so important to understand the financials of the business, right? I mean, if you don't understand that, then you just don't understand how the thing makes money. You don't understand what the balance sheet looks like. You don't understand the margins. And there already, I'm touching on some of the key things that we look at every single week in Magic Markets Premium. So obviously, starting with revenue, that is the lifeblood of any business. You need to know at what rate it's growing and you need to know where it's coming from. Now that means a bit of a deep dive into the segments. You need to know geographically, where is it from? Products, where's it coming from? Which divisions, which divisions of the business are actually generating the returns in terms of revenue? But that's only the starting point, obviously. You then have to look at margins. So if this business is selling products, you need to look at gross margin. And if it's selling services, for example, it gets a little bit harder. You then need to look more at your sort of operating margins and EBITDA margins. And companies love to report adjusted margins, which basically means, you know, some ugly stuff happened this year and we don't want you to really focus on it. So here's a view without that. Sometimes it means there was a very positive once off. We don't want you to get too excited that this is real life. Here's a view without that. So companies that behave properly, you can trust their adjusted numbers. Others, you really can't. So, for example, in the pandemic, U.S. companies were notorious for excluding share-based compensation from adjusted operating margin. And what that's basically saying is, please ignore the fact that we pay our staff largely in shares. Uh, you know, don't worry about that. That's an inconvenient truth, which is obviously nonsense. So, you know, we try and look out for stuff like this uh, where we can. And, of course, we look at the balance sheet because you have to look at how much debt there is, the cost of debt, especially in a rising interest rates environment like this one. You know, you've got to know how this business is funding its operations. And sometimes you uncover other nuggets of information. I'll never forget our research on Monster, Monster Beverages. And 
you know, we looked at the net profit growth rate or CAGR over time, and we looked at the operating profit CAGR over time, and the two were not talking to each other. Now, there's not much that happens below sort of operating profit and net profit. It's really just debt, which didn't look like it was changing too much, and tax, which is an unusual one to have lots of action. And in the case of Monster, there was actually a huge decrease in the tax rate over time, which was flattering the net profit margin growth and the net profit growth overall. Now, the problem is your tax rate cannot go to zero. At some point, it bottoms out. And we highlighted that as being, you know, one of the risks in the Monster numbers. And very few people in the markets, honestly, go down to that level of detail. So that's something I'm quite proud of is the amount of effort we actually do put into the numbers. Yeah, I think just leveraging off that ghost. I mean, the numbers are so important. We look at both income statement, balance sheet, ratios. But let's talk about ratios because when you're looking at fundamentals, historical traded multiples are generally quite helpful. Remember, we look at the investment overview, the numbers overview, and we try and look at that also from a valuations perspective. So maybe let's touch on that for our listeners today as well. So Mo, tied to the numbers is a fundamental analysis of the business. And the reason it's tied to the numbers is because in looking at the fundamentals, and this just means really the valuation metrics, so stuff like earnings multiples, uh, cash flow sort of conversion for shareholders, all that kind of stuff, the amount of share buybacks, dividends, Ultimately, it's the stuff that happens in the numbers section that feeds into the fundamentals because it's about how the business makes its money and what value the market then places on each dollar or rand or euro or wherever you are of earnings and cash flow that the company actually generates. And when we look at these fundamental valuation multiples, I think it was someone at some point on, on Twitter, I recall, wrote something that I found very profound. And it basically said, you know, it's, extremely difficult to have a conversation with someone about why something should trade on an earnings multiple of eight, nine, or seven. And it's true. It's actually kind of hard to justify seven or eight. It becomes an esoteric debate. But the market exists and tells you something. And in liquid shares with long trading histories, you can go and have a look. On average, where has the margin been? Where have the multiples been? What is the growth looked like and you can have a look and say okay you know what this company always used to trade on an earnings multiple of 10 now it's trading on 14 that's a problem then you dig a level deeper and you say mm, the pandemic accelerated earnings these may not even repeat and on top of that it's on a 40 percent higher multiple than normal now at that point in time a fundamental investor like myself would say thank you but no thank you i will wait for this one you know 40 to 50% down from where it is currently. And that has, generally speaking, not been a bad strategy. Same story the other way around, really, which is to say if something's always traded at 10 and now it's trading at 6, if there's a very good reason for that, you have to be careful. It can be a value trap. But if there isn't a good reason for that, it's actually a lovely buying opportunity. And that is why we always look at the fundamental multiples and have a look at them against the historical levels as well. Yeah, Ghost, I think that's so critical, right? Because when you deconstruct the components of your return, a multiple re-rating or derating is actually a very fundamental part of how you would expect your portfolio returns to evolve over time. It's what goes into formulating an investment thesis and whether you invest in one stock or in the other stock. So I think that's certainly very, very helpful. Samo, so I've got one more question for you. And that is around quarterly reporting. And there's a lot of debate around whether or not 
it drives the right behavior. So for example, on the JSE, companies only report every six months. Weirdly, on the stock exchange of Mauritius, which is not exactly liquid, they actually report every three months. I don't think that rule has changed. In the US, quarterly reporting is like the fabric of the market. And some argue that it drives short-termism. In other words, management teams literally just trying to make you know, live their life one quarter at a time as opposed to one quarter mile at a time, if I can throw in a Fast and the Furious joke. And I personally love it because it means you have fresh information all the time. But what are your views on this world of quarterly reporting? Now, if you had asked me this question a few years ago, I would have definitely been in the camp of saying, oh, well, it's driving the wrong behavior. It's driving short-termism. Uh, and I'm talking now from an investor standpoint, except for the point that if you're talking short-termism, we're now living in an era where people literally trade off their phones, off every single news soundbite that crosses their desk, that gets pinged on their cell phone. And so I would almost say that that argument being driven by short-termism on earnings reporting no longer holds water. There are other factors driving short-termism. And so if you're going to be someone who participates in that space, whether you're a high-frequency trader, whatever it may be, that's just part of your makeup. It's part of your strategy. It's what you're doing. It's how you approach markets. So let's unpack what does quarterly reporting actually drive from an investor standpoint. And on this point, I tend to, con I tend to concur with you, Ghost. I think as someone who looks at their investments over a long period of time. I almost don't look at the earnings reporting on a regular basis to inform high frequency trading. High frequency trading that I do in my trading portfolio happens more on a technical basis. There are other factors driving that. What do I use the quarterly reporting? What do I use the quarterly reporting for is really to shine a light on businesses that we analyze and that we assess over a long period of time and through the cycle. And on that basis, I think your point is absolutely spot on, is that it's giving you access to the underlying business. And so often on Magic Markets Premium, we've evidenced this. We've covered businesses, let's say two, three, four quarters ago even, and we've unpacked the nuances of how we think this will evolve. And then very much with an investor's lens, when we reassess that, whether that's two or three quarters or a year down the line, now that we've been running for a year in Magic Markets Premium, that shines light in terms of has the business strategically stuck to its knitting or has the business deviated from what they put forward in their guidance, let's say three or four quarters ago? What is the financial performance done? And this becomes so useful because you can now overlay that with macro indicators, what's happening in the economy. You can overlay that with, with the dynamics of the market. And so it makes the entire investment process so much richer and it does mean that investors, certainly our subscribers, will continually get to see what's happening beneath the hood. You know, it's effectively shining a light on things that ordinarily with six, month, six monthly reporting, you'd have to wait another three months to actually see, by which point in time it may just be too late if you're tactically looking at taking an opportunity or reorientating your portfolio. Yeah, I would certainly echo that, Mo. We've had a lot of new subscribers come into the fold uh, in recent weeks. Actually, it's been lovely to see. Maybe, you know, happier markets. I don't know. A little bit of an end-of-year buzz. Either way, we won't complain. We just get on with what we do, which is consistently put out solid content week in and week out. So, absolutely. To our Magic Markets listeners, go and check out Magic Markets Premium. Even if you just have a go for 99 bucks and see what it's all about to see if it's for you. Really, you can uh, barely buy yourself a Steers burger for that. For those who are interested, go and check out the website. It's magic-markets.com. 
You can follow Mo or you can follow me on Twitter and you probably do already, but you should also follow our new Magic Markets Twitter account, which is at Magic Markets Pod, and that'll make sure you never miss an episode. Um, also sign up for the mailer, although if you become a subscriber, you'll automatically do that and you'll get that every Thursday morning. But that's enough of uh, sort of pointing you in a specific direction. I also just want to say that, you know, the year is obviously, you know, winding down, but we do still have a couple of really great shows this year. So looking forward to that. And to those of you who are already going on holiday and starting to travel, do it safely. And uh, we'll certainly see you here next week for Magic Markets. Thanks. Until next week, same time, same place. Cheers. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor.